So as I said, we're, this is week two. Now what? Uh, awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit. And, and we're going to look at two of the famous characters tonight, the, the two gentlemen on the road to Emmaus. And um, maybe you would be wondering, I was talking with Paula, who's out in the back taking care of media for us. Um, I said, you know, as I'm preparing, I'm thinking in my heart, I, I wonder if people are wondering, so what does, you know, Peter and Thomas have to do with the waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit? What do these men on the road to Emmaus, what does it, what does all this have to do with waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit? And I just want to share this so that we could all kind of be on the same page when Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, he met with his disciples in the upper room and they had a meal together. And as he prepared them for his departure, as he prepared them for the, for the next phase, he was going to go to the cross, but he was encouraging them that he wasn't going to leave them alone, that there would be a comforter. But in that room, as Jesus is encouraging them, it's only he and his disciples, it is only he and the 12, well then minus one, that were there. And so we, this many years later, 2,000 plus years, we have the whole counsel of God's word and so we know. But then at that time, it was only the disciples who were forewarned, not in warned as in something bad was happening, but who were given that privilege of knowing that the Holy Spirit was coming, that the Lord would send the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus dies and he, and he goes to the cross and where we will pick up tonight is, is um, and where we have been traveling since last week, is these days after the Lord has died. And what were the people experiencing? After all, as he traveled and shared with them, they came to believe that he was the son of God. They came to believe that, that um, he had been sent, that, that he was their Messiah, and now he had died. And not everybody knew that he had yet risen from the dead. And so it's necessary for us to visit the, the encounters of those who experienced him after he died. Why? Because it's in the hearing and the seeing and the believing that gives that urgency to go and tell. If only the disciples knew of the Holy Spirit, then where would, where would it have gone? If it was only left to those 12, when Jesus ascended to the, to the Father, there were 500 and so, or so in that place of hearing and seeing him ascend to the Father. There were 500 and some that heard him say, Lo, I am with you always, right? But yet in the upper room, we are only told of 120, so it's necessary for us to talk about what happened after Jesus had, had died on the cross and who he went to visit so that we could, like them, build in the anticipation and the excitement of awaiting for that promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has died. Now what? Awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so tonight... Our main thought is from Luke twenty four thirty two. Did not our hearts burn 
within us. And this passage has always been one that has intrigued me ever since I read it the first time, many, many moons ago. Did not our hearts burn within us? Ephesians 1, 15 to 21 says this, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is Paul speaking. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance of, in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And so we're looking, we're going to look at the heart. We're not going to park on the heart, but we're going to look at the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. The, the heart, when we consider our spiritual heart, the heart is able to imagine According to Genesis 6 and 5, it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. So if the intentions of the heart, that connotates, that gives the implication that the heart is able to imagine. The heart is also able to understand. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. So the heart has the ability to understand. The heart is able to reason. Mark chapter 2 verse 8 says, And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? So they were reasoning within themselves. The heart is also able to think. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of the Lord is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The heart is able to believe. Romans 10 and 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And finally, what else is the heart able to do? First Peter 1 and 22. The heart is able to love, having purified your souls with your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, what? From a pure heart. From a pure heart. So the heart can imagine, it can understand, it could reason, it could think, it could believe, and it could love. And so fix that in your mind tonight. Fix these qualities of the heart as we look at these men on the road to Emmaus because it will help us to understand. A matter of fact, as I have said many times, 
Put yourself in that place tonight. You are on this journey just as the man on the road to Emmaus was. Because we will see that one was named, his name was Cleopas, but the other man on the journey was not named. And so because he wasn't always, he wasn't named, I always insert myself as that other man. Cleopas and Melody. I'm not adding to the scripture. I'm just walking into the text and allowing the text and me to join and understand, okay, what's going on. So what now? What, where, where are we at? Several, a couple years ago, uh, COVID happened. Perhaps you've asked the question, what now? After, after something has, tragic has happened, now what are we going to do? You know, you lose your job. Now what? Now what? My husband last year, as a result of us getting COVID, um, they fired him. And I was like, now what? I was like, I want, I was like he, he, he's the main income of the house. Now what are we going to do? If I had to fight for eight weeks with the employer and, and anyways, blah, blah, blah. Now what? We find ourselves in that now what? A, a loved one passes away and we're like, now what? And, and so uh, over COVID, when uh, it was first announced in, in what, March 15th or so that we would be going on this global shutdown, the question of churches was now what? All of a sudden, churches had to reevaluate how are we going to provide the word of God to our congregation members? Churches who were never live on the internet, maybe posted their sermons a day or two later after a Sunday service, now had to find the means to quickly get things together so that the word of God can go forth for their congregation members. And in this house, how did we do it with a phone? Pastor Nadia stood and held the phone while Pastor Dino preached. Why? Now what? Because we were in that place of now what? And we were in a place of having to act with crucial wisdom uh, to keep the word of God alive. The place was in a place, the world was in a place of shock. And so Jesus had died and it was in a place of shock. I thought he was the Messiah. I had hopes that he would be the one who would redeem Israel. The buzz around the community was despair of what now? Now what do we believe? Where do we find ourselves now? And so understanding and coming from that scope of mind, let's go to Luke 24. We're going to read from 13 to 19. And it says this, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, 
Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people. Now these two men were likely coming back from a Jerusalem. Perhaps they had gone to Jerusalem to participate in the Passover festivities of the time. And they're walking and as they're walking together, they are sharing what's troubling their heart. Have you ever gone for a walk with a friend just to vent? Just to unload some things that are heavy upon you. That's where these guys are at. And though they were followers of Jesus, they are not known to us like Peter and John. Oh, when we hear the name Peter, right away we know. They, he, was, he was commissioned by Jesus that upon him the church of Christ would be built. Oh, John, we hear of John. Oh, he's a beloved of God. And, but the Cleopas and another man, we don't know of them. They're not famous, but they are in fact followers. They are disciples. And so just because of this, often when we read the account in Luke chapter 24, we just see them as two random men affected by the circumstances of the community and times that they're in. But we don't see them as men of any value, importance. And so could that be you and I? Sometimes we don't feel valuable or important in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we may see, say, but who am I? Sometimes we will ask somebody else to pray for a need that we have because perhaps God listens to them more. After all, they are elder so-and-so, bishop so-and-so, pastor this, uh, sister that, intercessor And so we don't see ourselves as valuable, but Jesus visits these men and he appears to them. While they may not have been famous, they were in fact followers, as I've mentioned, because Mark says this, Mark 16, 9 to 13. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene from who had cast out seven demons. And she went out and she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, but they had heard that he was alive. But when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. So these two of them are these two gentlemen on the road to Emmaus and they, it, we know that they were disciples or followers of Christ. They weren't part of the 12, but we know they were disciples or followers of Christ because it says that they went back and told the rest. So we understand that again, they weren't famous. They were simple, half anonymous people. But they nonetheless 
by the merits of Jesus, he felt they were valuable enough that he was going to visit them with his presence to reveal himself to them. Why? Because their hearts were troubled, their hearts were burdened, and they were walking, and in their journey, and in their their sharing with one another, Jesus joins in. And he comes and he remains himself anonymous. While these men are anonymous, half famous people, Jesus himself in the, in the greeting, in the onset of meeting them, remains also anonymous because Luke says in verse 16 of 24, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So if you ever feel invaluable, then be very aware that Jesus himself can appear to you and don't be looking to how he would appear to somebody else or how somebody else has declared he's appeared to them. But look in the very subtle ways that he might be coming alongside of you and making himself known to you. When children of God get together and they talk of the things of God and they talk of their Savior and they talk of their experiences in God, you know what? In that moment, Jesus is there. Because the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in their midst. And one night, well... um, when I was in my young teens, uh, me and my brother had a couple of friends that had come to visit from Montreal. So we were downstairs in the family room in the basement there just talking about all our, little, our experiences of God. And um, so as we're talking, the fireplace was going and, and I noticed the fire was getting a little low. And so I get a little log and, and, and I put some newspaper on because I want to, I wanna, you know, encourage the fire so I can put the log on and, and get the heat coming out. So as I do this, I put the newspaper in, in the crumpled ball and I got the log and, and, and I blow on the newspaper and I get really close like this and I blow and I put the log and as I blow the, the, the the flame comes out right at me, right? And it just felt as though my bangs got, because I had bangs. I had bangs forever in a prayer until COVID. But anyways, it felt like my bangs got singed. It felt like my, my eyebrows got singed. My face felt hot. Everything was like... Oh my goodness, I just got burned, right? And so the, the two gals were like, Oh, let's see, not a, not a speck, not a burn, right? So anyways, that just fueled us all the more. We were like, oh, see, we were just talking about Jesus and all the great things he did. And see, you didn't even get burned. And so now we felt like we had a special visitation of Jesus in the room because we were just, um, just speaking and reminiscing of his ways. But when we speak of the Lord and his great works, when we engage in conversation with one another, his great power shows up. And he makes himself known and he comes alongside of us. A little boy was asked by his grandmother, What's, do you know the name of God? He says, yes. And she says, well, what is it? And he says, well, it's Andy. And she just, but Andy, like, why didn't he say Yahweh? Why didn't he say, you know? And she says, Andy, why do you say that? 
Andy. He says, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me. Just a humor moment to keep you watching and liking. <laughs> but Jesus illustrates for us. He said to us in Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always. He doesn't want us to forget that his presence is ever with us. In Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3, he says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He is ever with us. Psalm 119.63 says, I am a companion of all who fear you. For those who keep your precepts. 1 John 1 and 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another. And so Jesus is joining these two friends on their walk while they are heavy laden with the fact that the one they had hoped was their Messiah is now gone. And so the first thing you can write in your notes, this road to Emmaus is the road of companionship because Jesus comes alongside of us as a companion would. Our risen Lord desires for us to have companionship with him, fellowship, friendship, it's important to him to have fellowship with us. He asks them in verse 16, what's this conversation that you're talking about? All of a sudden, Jesus is there. It's not, it, the scripture doesn't say, and then they heard the footsteps of the master coming from behind them, saying, what's this that you're talking about? All of a sudden, Jesus is there and he's saying, what's this conversation that you are holding with each other? He is inviting them. He is saying, tell me what's troubling you. Tell me what is heavy on your heart. What's bothering you today? Jesus is inviting them to engage in conversation with them. And he allows them to tell him of their deepest hurts, their angers, their frustrations. Matthew eleven twenty eight says what? Come on to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right here, he is embodying that verse as he comes alongside of them and says, so what are you talking about? What conversation are you holding? Come to me and tell me. Luke 24, 19, he says, what things? And they said, to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. We see point number two. We transition. This road to Emmaus is not just a road of companionship. It's a road of conversation. It's a road of conversation that Jesus is going to have with these men. And as he has with these men, he's about to unload on them. And yet still their eyes are prevented from seeing who he is. What things Jesus skillfully plays along with them so that they can engage in conversation 
He wants to reveal their hearts to them. What is it that's really troubling you? Is it the fact that I died? Or is it the fact that I've disappointed you in dying? What's really troubling you? In asking them what things, he's not asking them because he doesn't know. He's asking them so that their heart could be revealed to themselves. Jesus never asks a question as if he is one that needs to be told. He asks a question so that we could be informed as we're giving him the answer. And the men said this. They explained all that they knew about Jesus. In short, I've put it. They knew his name and where he was from, Jesus of Nazareth. They knew he was a prophet. They knew that he was mighty indeed. They knew he was crucified. They knew he promised to redeem Israel. They knew others had said he rose from the dead. And we get all that from verses 24 and on. And they poured out their hearts to the Lord because they were counting on him to be the redeemer of Israel. They put all their hopes in him, but now they die. he died. And now they felt disappointed. Now they were in the, now what? Now what do we do? They said, even the woman, he appeared to the woman and the angel told them, they alluded to these facts. And then what does Jesus do? He responds to them and he says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had said. Verse 25, oh, foolish ones. It almost seems as though in this moment, Jesus is being unfair. You know, in today's terms, that would be, oh, you're so stupid. Like, really? Are you serious? Like it's as if this, and it's almost, it's almost, wait, you pause and you say, wait a second, Jesus, you're coming alongside of them. You're exhorting them to say what manner of this. You're encouraging them to, to open up their heart to you and just pour it all out. And now you're calling them bunch of dummies. You're calling them stupid or foolish hearts, slow to believe. Why? He could say this because he knows the thoughts and the intentions of man. He knows our hearts more than we know our hearts. And so with our mouth, we declare one thing, but our heart may be believing another. With our, with our mouth, we say this, but our heart leads us over here. And so Jesus knows the intentions and the thoughts of our heart. And these men did not know who they were talking to, but their eyes, well, they were being kept from seeing who he was, would soon find out he was the only one who could take their hearts of sorrow and fill it with joy. David cried out in Psalm 69, verses 16 and 17, Oh Lord, your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am distressed. Make haste to answer me. 
These men are being blinded from seeing Jesus. David was in a place where even he felt as though the face of God was being hidden from him. And in his distress was crying out to God for an answer. The the thing they were saying, we were hoping that he would be the, the, the Messiah. They were disappointed. They were, they, they, but Jesus would show them that their true hope would be found in him. Jesus would show them that he was the only one that could fulfill this disappointment, replace it with resurrection hope. And so as David called out to God, when these men are saying, we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel, they were speaking to hope himself. They were speaking to hope himself and only hope could restore that disappointment and only hope could replace that sorrow. And so as they're speaking to him, we see that the the Lord is about to build the platform to restore that place of hopelessness. Luke 24, 11 said, just as as the woman had said. You see, originally they had received the report from the woman that Jesus had rose again, but they did not believe. How many times was the gospel presented to you before you chose to believe? How many times were you told that God loved you? That he had a plan to redeem you? That he wanted to forgive you? That he was the only one that could take everything that was wrong and make it right? Before you chose to believe. They already knew that Jesus had risen. They already heard the news, but they did not believe the news bearer. They were women. In those times, it, it, uh, it was not popular that the woman was regarded in that way. As, um, it, w- it was once said that, uh, curse would I be if I, if I listened to the counsel of a woman uh, in, the, in the Jewish mindset. But Jesus wanted to know from them, and he wants to know from us, can we believe without seeing? Can we have eyes of faith? Or can we only believe because we saw? Can we believe without seeing? Based on this, the reliable testimony of the word of God. Can we believe? Um, Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Can we believe in that capacity? And so Jesus is waiting to, for that perfect moment in which they are going to be able to walk in the Hebrews 11.1. 1. They are without hope, but there's going to be a moment in this journey to Emmaus that they are going to encounter that hope. They are going to encounter that moment of place. If he's the one who 
exhorts us to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us, then why would he now say to them, you foolish ones, slow of heart? Why would he now approach them in such a manner? He's, it's not a rebuke as we would think because he is wanting to unfold all the prophecies about himself. They could not understand what, why God would allow his son to die and yet not intervene. Why would, he, why would God do this? Why would God allow his son to die on the cross if he was to be the answer? But what does Jesus do? Verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In the very old Greek, that word that is used, some of your Bibles may say expounding um, or interpreting to them all the scriptures. That word expounding in the original Old Greek was uh, Diamenu. And so what, what that means is the idea of sticking close to the text. So if one is expounding on something, in the old Greek, it's sticking close to the text. Well, who could stick closer to the text than the word himself? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God according to John 1.1. 1, 1. So who could, who could stick closer to the text? In, in unveiling the text than the word himself, the word who was in the beginning when God began the heavens and the earth. In the beginning before the beginning began to begin, there was Jesus. There was God. And who could stick closer to that? None other than the text himself, Jesus. And so he begins to interpret the scriptures to them. And it doesn't give us the full account of everything that he had to say. But it says that he began with Moses and all the prophets and he unveiled it all before them. It was a seven mile journey. And so as he's unveiling all before them and though the scriptures doesn't unpack it all for us, I... Imagine it to be something like he shared that he, that he was a seed of the woman whose heel was bruised. He shared of the blessing of Abraham, that the Messiah was a blessing of Abraham to all nations. He shared that the Messiah was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He shared that the Messiah was the man who wrestled with Jacob when Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He shared how the Messiah was from the line of the tribe of Judah. He shared how the Messiah was the Passover lamb. He shared how the Messiah Messiah was greater than Moses himself. He shared how the Messiah was the captain of the Lord's army. He shared how the Messiah was the ultimate kinsman redeemer as we saw in the unveiling of the story of Ruth. He shared how the Messiah was a son of David who was a king greater than David himself. He shared how he the Messiah was the suffering savior of Psalm 22 and the Messiah was the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He shared that he was the wisdom of Proverbs and the love of the 
with songs of Solomon. He shared that the Messiah was the Savior described in the prophets and the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. He began to unpack who he was. Why? Because he was him. He was the Messiah and rightfully so. He could stick close to the text. He could be that interpretation. He could unpack the Messiah because he was the Messiah. And so he was able to say he was the Messiah of Daniel who would establish the kingdom that would never end. And so as they listened, perhaps while they were listening, he even went into depth and quoted Isaiah 53 verses 1 to 12. Who has repeat what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid up on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man on his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He had put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Jesus quoting this. Jesus himself, the Messiah himself, quoting what Isaiah prophesied of what he would be. Imagine how those words must have come like firing coals upon their ears. Imagine how they must have felt. This sounds so imploring. It's, it's as though they must have felt the combustion, combustion within them. And yet not once do we read in the text that they ever in, interrupted. They just listened. And so he had them captivated. He had their hearts captivated but yet as they engaged on this walk initially what had happened and what had caused them to take this journey was their unbelief quenched the fire that was once within them we may as well go back 
to Emmaus. Jesus is not who we thought he was. We came to Jerusalem for this journey. And so now we may as well go back. And isn't that like us? If we don't guard our hearts, we let unbelief come in and fill us with disappointment that now we lose hope. Well, he didn't answer me when I prayed for this, and so I may as well give up. I might as well just leave it all there. I thought he would come through this way. Hebrews 3.12 warns us against that. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Be careful just because he didn't answer you the way you wanted. Just because he didn't appear the way you expected. Don't let unbelief cause your heart to be turned away from him. There's two sources of unbelief. Two sources. Satan blinds the mind of the unbeliever so they cannot believe. You ever witness to somebody and think, why am I getting against this brick wall? I'm just not getting anywhere. Because Satan has blinded their heart from seeing. Second Corinthians 4 and 4 says it this way. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The other source of unbelief is situations that we find ourselves in. Blind our minds so that we find ourselves choosing not to believe. Our situations, our circumstances. Well, this is, it's always been this way for me. I've always had problems. It's always been rough times, rough times, rough times. I have one problem after another. I get out of one and I get into another until what? God must not be for real. And we just go on and on and sing our old sad song, get the violin out and just play it along. And so then we allow unbelief to come in. But Jesus is here to resolve this. The situation before them of the one that they had believed in, the very Messiah was with them. All their hopes were now crushed. They knew that God's word had promised. They knew of Isaiah 53, but unbelief had blinded them. And that happens with us. I received a message this morning from a friend, and her family has been going through all sorts of issues. Her, her daughter had uh, gone through some, uh, a real bad case of irritable bowel. And um, as a result of that, it, it turned into something even greater. And then now she was, they, they finally were, were finding some answers and then the medications wasn't working and she had other complications. And now the mother's having complications with her health and her digestive system. And then as a result of that, the family also had some other sickness hit them and, and her husband has been sick and, and his mother has been sick. And so sickness, 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 and she ends 
ends as she's um, reaching out, uh, she ends her her message like this. I reach out because I am challenged right now in believing all the promises of the Bible. I know we're not supposed to go on our feelings, but I'm stuck feeling like God is absent in all of his sufferings. I know he's not, but I cut, I, I can't seem to find the joy, perseverance, and praise right now. I realize other sufferers, and many likely more than myself and my family, I could really use your prayers of faith for healing in our household and to increase my faith. Why circumstances that are, we are facing brings unbelief. Unbelief. The enemy wants us to be stuck in defeat. He wants us to see Jesus on the cross. But he, we, he doesn't want us to see that he came from that cross. He conquered over sin and death and that he is victorious. But Paul said this, and we opened with it in Ephesians 1, 17 to 19, that the, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe what is the immeasurable greatness of that power and so here we are on this Emmaus journey and we see it's in a, a journey of companionship we see it's a journey of conversation but now we are going to see that this the, this road to Emmaus is a road of renewed hope a renewed belief Luke 24, 28 to 35 says this. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it's towards evening and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Their journey was near to the end. And the two men strongly urged Jesus to stay. They had not even recognized him. At this point, they still don't know that he is the Christ. But something within them obviously had enjoyed that seven-mile journey. In today's terms, it would take about two hours and 20 minutes by foot, but we have paved roads. We have sidewalks. And so our journey of two hours and 20 minutes in the translation of those biblical times and those, and those dirt roads would have easily equated to about seven hours. And so in that time that they took to journey with Jesus, they're imploring of him that strong urging of him 
to stay comes from a heart that has been ministered to. There was something that had made connection. Won't you stay with us? The day has been spent. And so they invite him. They weren't present at the Last Supper. They didn't see how Jesus broke bread with his disciples. This wasn't brand new. This wasn't something familiar to them. This was brand new. It's, it, nor was that time of fellowship and that supper, that, that, supper, that breaking of bread, uh, a sacramental um, uh, habit like we do when we have communion. And so we, we have the bread and the wine to, to remind ourselves of what Jesus did. This was not that. This was Jesus was invited to stay to have dinner with them and he took the place of the host. He stepped into the position as though now he invited them to sup with him. And as he took that position of the host, we see that he prays. And as he prays, no doubt their ears were quickened. I recognize this voice. I recognize this connection. I recognize this power. There is something happening here and as he prays and as he delivers them the bread their eyes become open why because he is the bread of life and as he gives of himself for them their eyes are open to see this is the Christ who died and gave of himself for me as he is praying their ears are open their heart becomes renewed and then as they see he quickly disappears and they say we're not our hearts burning within us we're not our hearts burning within us as he unpacked the scriptures you know when you're in the sermon on a Sunday and all of a sudden the Bible and the, and, and the minister is bringing forth the word and the Bible just becomes alive in that moment because your heart has gravitated to the word that the Lord is speaking to you. And this is what has happened. They were made aware. Their eyes were open and they knew him. Epikonoso, to know him thoroughly. In that moment, it's that, that Greek word of knowing, to know him thoroughly. They had the whole package. I get it. I know who you are. And hope was restored. And hope was renewed. And their faith was there again as quickly as they knew him he was gone for their midst and they began again to speak to one another to stir one another but now their hearts were not downcast now their hearts were not burdened and heavy laden why because they had met with the one who could lift that burden and now they were in, in fume now now they were combustible now now the flame had been stirred within them were not our hearts burning and what happened they took off to Jerusalem they ran back where they 
just came back from. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they said, he is alive. And so this is the one that I implore and I wonder, now what? Where are you at now? Do you still have that enthusiasm within your heart of when Christ revealed himself to you? That when you go to another, that when you see another, it's burning over within you. That you are able to say, he's alive. That then their heart becomes lifted. The weight of the burden that is in their life is now lifted by Christ. Because you've just exposed the burning flame that is within you. Where are we at at church? Where has Pentecost gone? That we could sit so reserved so pious, so holy, and forget the burning within our heart. I'm not asking us to act out in the flesh. We don't have to act out the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is within you, he'll make himself known. He will reveal himself if I were to stick my finger inside the plug that's in this floor piece and I stick myself, my finger into that 120 amp service, there's going to be a, a happening when my finger connects with that power. What's going to happen? I might sh shake, I might fly back, but there's going to be evidence that I've stuck my finger into a power source. And so there's got to be an evidence of the Holy Spirit. There's got to be an evidence of the Christ that lives within you. And so we have to foster it. And so now we see that this road to Emmaus has been also the road of hope because that smoldering fire that was once going out has been breathed on as Jesus spoke the word, as he spoke that pneuma came forth from him and it breathed into that smoldering fire and that fire became a flame within them. A burning heart cannot keep it in. A burning heart cannot keep it in. As we wait and we walk through these days, 50 days from when Jesus rose to the day of Pentecost, our hearts should be burning within us. Past 51, 52, day 60, day 70, day 365, our hearts should be burning within us. Why? Because we know how the story Ended. We know that Jesus was not dead, but that he rose again. How do we know? Because the scripture says it. How do we know? Because the scripture shows us of people he appeared to. How do we know? Because we have come to believe for ourselves that what the word of God has said is true. And in believing, we have tasted and we have seen, we have experienced that he is alive and real. The Emmaus Road, a road of companionship with Jesus, a road of conversation with Jesus, a road of belief with Jesus, a road of restored hope. Restored hope. 
Where is our belief tonight? Where is our hope? The world awaits to hear from us who are burning the message of God's love. The message of God's love. Father God, we thank you tonight. We thank you for this scripture, oh God, where you awaken our hearts to see these two young men, oh God, and we could see ourselves in that journey with you. Lord, I pray if there's any smoldering fires in the house of God and any smoldering fires listening in tonight, that Lord, you would breathe on us, oh God, your pneuma, your breath. Lord, may you breathe upon us as we read your word that it would become alive, O oh God, within us, that it would become a burning fire within us, mighty Jesus, that those that we come in contact with would encounter the living hope of who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, as we anticipate your Pentecost, Lord, as we pray, oh God, believing with hearts, believing for the manifestation of who you are, the manifestation of your Holy Spirit, I pray, oh God, that there would be a great visitation in our lives, in our homes, in our cars, in our sanctuary, oh God, in the name of Jesus, let the fire of the Holy Spirit come as never before, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we thank you for joining us. Just to our online viewers, we thank you. God bless you. Pastor Dina will be back tomorrow morning with our, our, our online devotions. And of course, we'll be here Sunday morning. And uh, we are expecting great things. And we are expecting you too. So join us here Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For those who can't make it because you're watching at a distance, we'll be here, YouTube or on Facebook Live. We'll see you then. God bless you. And for those that are in house, come back again. Come back with your fire. Come back with your hope. Come back with your anticipation. You know when we anticipate, great things happen. Jesus never disappoints in revealing himself to us when we anticipate him. So come Sunday morning, come with anticipation. God, I'm going to meet with you today. And you will meet with God because of your anticipation. So God bless you.